Aloha, you are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Before we jump in to our podcast today, I want to say something about the recent incidents that have been happening in America, especially about the death of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police. I've been struggling a lot to figure out exactly what to say, but I feel like Floyd's words may have said it best. I can't breathe. Please, man. Mama, mama, I'm through. How do words adequately express the level of pain, frustration, and hopelessness that comes from 400 years of the most massive failure in human history to see people as people. I think these ones do. They are the words George Floyd spoke in desperation as a police officer dug his knee into Floyd's neck for nine minutes until he died. If we can't see and feel the humanity in the most basic expressions of being human, the need for air, the need for help, the love for a mother, then we are beyond saving. If we are more bothered by the damage done to property than by the loss of this life and thousands of others because of our inability to see the humanity of the people that we share this earth with, then we are beyond saving. If we are more bothered by the profanity of rap lyrics than the profanity of poverty, racism, and the dehumanization of our brothers and sisters of color, then we are beyond saving. If we can't let go of our stereotypes, most of which serve no other purpose than to divide us through fear, to help a helpless man on the ground begging to be seen in the most basic way any human being can be seen, then we are beyond saving. If we can't see that some of us based completely and totally on the color of our skin and what is or isn't between our legs get to live a life freer, than others. Some of us get to avoid panic attacks when pulled over by the police. Some of us get to go jogging, birding, and walk through a neighborhood without fear. Some of us get to live without the scars of being systematically told we are somehow less important, less real, less valuable than we are beyond saving. If we look the other way or enable our political leaders to make life harder for the least privileged among us, if we look the other way while our brothers and sisters of color are called thugs and sons of bitches, then we are beyond saving. If our Jesus is more concerned with our financial prosperity and gender roles than feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, turning the other cheek, loving our enemies and showing compassion to our neighbors and the least of these, then we are beyond saving. If we don't understand, as Martin Luther King Jr. taught, that in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. Then we are beyond saving. And since all of those above statements are true to some varying degree by too many people in our country, what can I say to a country and its people that appear beyond saving? I'm not just an NBA draft podcast host. 
My real full-time job is as a conflict mediator. I've spent the last 15 years of my life working with divided communities around the world, helping them figure out how to bridge divides and collaboratively solve the problems that we face today. But this week, I'm not sure what to say to my white brothers and sisters who are offended that African Americans, other people of color, and their allies are in the streets protesting, mostly peacefully, but sometimes violently, about the death of George Floyd. But I'm going to try to raise George Floyd's voice. Use his words. Maybe you can hear the words if I say them. I can't breathe. Imagine your son or daughter laying on the asphalt begging for a breath, begging for someone to take their knee off your loved one's neck. Imagine your loved one feeling that they emotionally can't breathe at school, at work, shopping, or trying to get a cab at night. Imagine a world that has seen your loved one as somehow inferior because of the color of skin. And imagine these stereotypes came to be not because of anything your loved one or their ancestors did, but because the people practicing slavery had to come up with a moral justification for a profoundly and hideous moral act. Please help. Imagine your son or daughter laying on the asphalt begging for help. People are standing around, cell phones filming your child as they plead. The people killing your child look stoically outward, impervious to the call for help. Imagine them feeling the same way emotionally, at school, at work, shopping, or trying to get a cab, being told that help translates into a handout while they watch other kids around them get not only everything they need, but much, much more. Imagine a world that sees your loved one's call for help, not as a call for justice, but as a sign of weakness, a sign of moral inferiority, a sign that somehow they're supposed to play the games with both hands tied behind their back because, you know, freedom. Mama, mama, I'm through. Imagine it's your son or daughter calling for you, calling knowing that you can't come, that even if you were standing five feet away, you wouldn't be allowed to help, that you, like so many thousands of African-American mothers have had to, for generations, mourn the mistreatment, abuse, and even death of your children. They say that the number one fear of human beings is having a child die. For many of us, that fear is rooted in a horrific car accident or a life-threatening illness. Now imagine that fear is rooted in the same sorts of scenarios that George Floyd died. Imagine holding on to that fear every time your son or daughter leaves their home. Can you see him? Can you feel them? Can you see them so clearly that their needs, desires, hopes, and dreams matter as much to you as your own? Can you let go of the hundreds of years of prejudice and justification that has led to the dehumanization of a people? Can you let go of the fears that have blinded you to the reality that human beings, living, breathing people with dreams, hopes, and desires, have been and continue to be systematically mistreated? Can you stop asking what will happen to me if I stand up and speak out to their oppression? And start asking, what will happen to us if I don't? Can you love them dangerously? Can you stand with those that mourn the death of George Floyd? Can you comfort those that stand in need of comfort? Can you do something 
that creates space for healing, for reconciliation, for justice. Can you say with me to our African-American sisters and brothers, I'm deeply sorry and not mean it in the thoughts and prayers way, but in the way of I'm going to rally folks into action to see what I and others can do to transform this conflict. Can it be more than a cut and pasted social media post? a donation, a service project, reaching out and getting to know someone who doesn't look like you, a vote for political leaders that are committed to ending this 400-year human tragedy. Can you do something today? Can we be human before we are beyond saving? Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Chad Ford. My guest today, a very longtime friend, it's Ryan Rossillo, former ESPN colleague and host of the Ryan Rossillo podcast on The Ringer. Ryan, it's great to be talking to you again. Yeah, this uh, this means a lot, man. Uh, for those that don't know, I remember you know back in I think it was my my first job was in '02, but the first year I was doing talk radio was '03, and Chad had the unbelievable insider page where it was like Chad had a little graphic above every column where he was on the phone. And I would pour over this intel because we just didn't have access to these mysterious international players. And Chad would go on these trips. And I just started bugging Chad like crazy. And then Chad would come on with us for no reason other than he just was being nice to me. And so I've always been a huge fan of Chad. Uh, Chad is, is – you're just – I don't know. It's hard to explain to people because people get so mad at draft people. Like people, there's a resentment. I always talk about this because of McShay, him being my boy. The resentment towards draft people is like beyond almost any other thing. And it's really weird. It's it's very weird. And you have been nothing but supportive. And then to not be able to work with you and, and keep it in touch and stuff. And I, you know, I try to send you a note around draft time all the time, knowing how much this that week would mean to you. So this uh this is really cool of you to invite me to do this. So I appreciate it. Man, I, I, I love Ryan. Like you said, our relationship goes way back to when he was on talk radio in Boston and to come to ESPN. He was, he, to me, he was the, the most underrated person at all of ESPN. I mean, there, not only was he great at talk radio, and this is the thing that I try to explain to people, like Ryan had the draft down stone cold. He was talking to, and it wasn't just because he was great at looking at the draft. He also talked to tons of guys in the league. We would have conversations. I don't know if you remember this, like the days before the couple of days before the draft, we'd be on the phone sometimes for hours, like sharing notes, trying to figure out the mock drafts and what teams were going to do what. And, and like Ryan was like, like a trusted source in many ways, because he had so many great connections in the league. And I always tried to make this collaborative, but there wasn't really anybody at ESPN that was actually doing the NBA draft, our reporters were all off doing other stuff because free agencies right around that time and everything else. And so a lot of times it was Ryan and I up at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning, like sharing notes about, okay, what do you think this team's going to do? And what do you think this team's going to do? And so, I mean, I know you do everything, but I still, I still think your sweet, sweet spot is the draft, which is partly why I wanted to have you on today. I, it is my favorite day of the sports year, and you know, after a while, after years, finally, radio let me do it. And I go, the only way I'm doing this is an analyst. Like, I don't want to be a host. I don't want to do this. And then, 
if you let me talk about the players and talk about information, I'll do it that way. And I get it because, you know, you type like actors are typecast. People in sports are typecast even more so than actors are. And it was at first it was like, well, who's this guy think he is? Like, what do you think you're doing? And then when I hosted the combine, I go, I'm only doing this if you let me share a little bit because it's a five hour TV broadcast. The only way I'm doing it. And I was lucky enough to host that for five years until some other things happened. And I found out weeks before the combine that I wasn't going to be hosting it, which wasn't one of my favorite moments in time. Um, and the same thing happened to you. So, um, uh, I didn't have to hear the thing I always try to explain. I don't have to do any of it. I could have done none of it and made the exact same amount of money. I could have done none of it, saved myself a ton of time, not put in hours, months leading up to the draft where I'd have to cram because I wasn't doing it year round because of football and the talk show five days a week, but like to go home after the talk show every day and then stay up and watch video and take my own notes because I got sick of reading everybody else's stuff and yeah it was cool like you told me to go to Portsmouth I think 03 was the first year I went yeah and you meet a bunch of GMs because nobody else went to Portsmouth and then you know we'd go to Orlando all the time and then thank god they switched it back to Chicago although that's why I kept arguing for the Orlando bubble thing because we had spent so many years there I'm like this would be really like it's not going to be easy but it's easier here to pull this off than a lot of the other options so I am I will always be, I'll put it this way, I will always be fascinated with how I evolve in how I evaluate because some of the things that I used to believe in 15 years ago, 16 years ago, I'm like, nope, don't fall for that anymore. And there's certain players where I go, stop loving these super athletic fours that can't play basketball. Stop it <laughs> because I've got too many on my, my hit list that didn't work out. So that's cool of you to say, and I just have a huge smile on my face thinking about the draft because I love it. Yeah. Bill, Bill and I were talking about some of those th same things because, you know, this is the other thing, too. Look, if anybody has a formula for the draft, I haven't met him. Exactly. Uh, I, I know some really incredible teams and scouts, and, and I know them personally, and their track record is great, but it's far from flawless. And, and they make mistakes sort of like everybody else does, at, you know, as well in the draft. And, and it is just that process of evolving and trying to understand what went wrong and why. But also, you know, part of it is, and I think this is what makes the draft so great, it's also why I think people get critical of draft guys. We're talking about human beings here. And they're not robots. And so whatever you project onto a human being, there's a lot of individual choice and external circumstance involved with that human being about how they're actually going to play out the way that they play out. And, and you know, we see this happen time and time again. And so it really is, it's it's guessing <laughs> in some ways, right? You no, know, and that's the thing. Like when you're young, when you're me in the beginning of this thing, you think everybody's an idiot, right? And, and you yeah. do this thing because when I first started talking to you, I'm like 27, I think, 27, 28. And I'm like, man, because you want to believe, and this is why I think people hate draft people, because you want to believe deep down that your understanding of basketball is a little bit closer to the decision makers. It's just, it's, it's like a thing that helps you boost your ego. And I would say that it probably is a little bit closer than you realize for those that really put in the work and all that kind of stuff. Cause the football draft always makes me laugh and how passionate a play, a team can be about a, or not a team, a fan base can be about a player. And it's like, did you actually really break down this interior lineman? It's film. Cause there's like 95% chance you never did probably bigger than that. But what I started to do as you saw the same mistakes being made, and I shouldn't even say the same mistakes, just that mistakes were being made by bad teams and really good GMs who I think are terrific at this. It's that just like you said, you don't know who's going to show up and want to work. You don't know who loves the game. You can't, you can do a million interviews. You can watch all the tape. You can do all these things. It's just like people, like the analogy that I finally came up with as I got older is like, think about all the people that get married and they're like, this is the one. And you're like, and then it isn't. 
Yeah. You know, and, and you have way more information. <laughs> way more. Exactly. Like way more. And you screw it up. And so that's that I think is a is a big issue. You know, that's a that's a great point you make, Ryan. I, I the same I did the same thing, you know, early on. I started on the internet. I'm just reading other other people's stuff. I'm just watching my own guys. I mean, just like everybody else. And the more I began actually spending time with NBA scouts, the more I understood one, this is really complicated, <laughs> right? Way more complicated than I thought. Um, two, they're spending millions of dollars uh, on this. Uh, they have a lot of sophisticated um, tools they're using that I don't have access to, like private investigators, for example, that are going around, doctors that are breaking down medicals in ways that I don't really understand and can't see and actually, frankly, just don't have access to, right? And uh, one of the reasons I've been doing a lot of these redrafts with John Hollinger is Hollinger was working as an executive in, in Memphis for a while. And a lot of the stories, you know, because John started at ESPN, he was an analytics guy, same thing. John will be the first to admit you. I, I thought I had this nailed. And then you go to a front office and you realize, oh, it's a lot more complicated than this. There's a lot more that goes into it. John's views on how he evaluates the draft have dramatically altered because of, you know, the work that he's done there. And this is, so th this is hard. And so what I, what I want to tell people today, because we're going to do we're going to do our first mock draft on this on this podcast today. <laughs> I, I, I want to have fun with this. It's okay. supposed to be fun. I don't think I know everything I need to know yet about the draft. As a reporter at ESPN, I spent hours and hours on the phones with agents and NBA executives trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do. That's not what this mock draft is going to be. That's not what Ryan and I have been spending the last month doing is digging into every team and figuring out exactly where they're going to go. And in part, because in the conversations that I have with teams right now, with everything that's happened at COVID-19, the scouting part is done. But as far as teams getting anywhere close to making a decision on who they're taking or you know, even necessarily where their board is set up, it's just not there yet. There's just so much else going on in the NBA right now. The draft's going to probably be sometime in like late September, I think is the timetable that I've been seeing uh, right now. So this is premature, but I thought it'd be fun. You know, at this time, normally we would have just had the lottery and we would be in Chicago right now at the draft combine. That That's what would be happening right now. We would be in the thick of it. Uh, Ryan and I for years were, uh, he said on the draft, uh, on the draft show, the ESPN draft show, my favorite moment, by the way, on the draft show, uh, was when we were coming back from a break and it was, we were in Chicago and it cut to um, the museum and the T-Rex and we was like, Hey, there's Kelly Olenek, uh, with the, uh, unbelievable you know, short arms. Yeah. It wasn't even planned <laughs> it was just, out. <laughs> it was just perfect. Kelly Olenek was coming up. Um, and you know, so people get so passionate about this. So I'm just asking you today. And I especially think where we're at in our country right now, if you know, everything's very tense and we understand that we're doing this podcast today to just to also try to have a little bit of fun because I think, I think people need that too. There's some really serious conversations happening right now. Let's not let this mock draft be one of it. So save, save us your angry DMs and, and uh, things on, on Twitter today. We're going to have some fun. So I'm going to start this out. And we're going to run the lottery. We actually don't know what the draft order is going to be uh, necessarily yet. And uh, if they play a few more games, it could shift a little bit. And you have a little bit of a different thing than in years past. You know, the top three teams have a 14% chance of getting the number one pick in the draft. That's Golden State, 
Cleveland and Minnesota. Those were the three teams with the worst records in the, in the NBA. And then it kind of goes down from there. Atlanta has a 12.5% chance. New York has a 9% chance. Detroit has a 10.5% chance. Chicago has a 7.5% chance. Charlotte a 6% chance. Washington, 4.5% chance. Phoenix, 3% chance. San Antonio, 2%. Sacramento, one3 New Orleans, one2 Portland, 05 I'm going to go to tankathon.com. We used to have our own little simulator at ESPN. It's gone now, and I used to run it that way. So I'm going to go to tankathon.com. I'm going to hit the button Sim Lottery. And what this is going to do is it's just going to give us a random random generator of these are how the odds are run. I'm going to hit it. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this Adam Silver style with the 14th pick. Portland Trailblazers, they keep their pick at 14. With the 13th pick, the New Orleans Hornets also keeping their pick. With the 12th pick, Sacramento Kings also keeping their pick at 12. At 11, San Antonio Spurs also keeping their pick. At 10, the Phoenix Suns keeping their pick. Oh, there's going to be a change now. There's going to be a change. The ninth pick, Charlotte Hornets. That means, if you're doing your math at home, the Washington Wizards have moved up to the lottery. At eight, the Chicago Bulls moved down one spot, but essentially staying in their same place. Seventh pick is the Detroit Pistons. They moved down two spots. That meant, yes, that's right, the New York Knicks have moved into the top three. Oh, this has just got interesting. With a sixth pick, Minnesota Timberwolves moved down three spots. With a fifth pick, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Finally, the Cavs aren't going to win a lottery. With the fourth pick, the Atlanta Hawks at fourth. Okay, now we're at the lottery. That's Golden State, New York, Washington. The third pick, the Washington Wizards. With the second pick in the draft. Oh, so close, Knicks fans. The New York Knicks with the second pick in the draft. That leaves the Golden State Warriors, the rich get richer, with the number one pick in the draft. Okay, Ryan, you get to draft... For the Golden State Warriors, you get the number one pick in the draft. I'm going to stop you for a second. I'm going to have a built bar. Got a ton of options here, but I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go with the raspberry chocolate cream. Uh, first of all, the bar tastes great. It's creamy. It's soft. It essentially tastes like I'm eating a piece of C's candy, but it's low in sugar. It's got high protein. It's it's an energy bar. It's it's not a candy bar. It just it just tastes like one. I've actually been using them for the past few weeks for a boost of my energy and protein after like long runs. But I also think they hit the spot after talking about the NBA draft. And there's no high sugar content or chalky bad taste left in my mouth. And in other words, it's the opposite of a David Kahn draft. Well, okay. Almost done. I'm tempted to do one more. It's that whole bar of deliciousness set me back uh, 110 calories. Now I'm eyeing a peanut butter brownie. Okay, so the cool thing is that on their website, they let you mix and match the bars you want in any combination. So everyone gets their favorite. And all right, look, I know we need to get back to the 2020 NBA draft. So here's the deal. Go to builtbar.com. 
Use promo code Locked On for ten dollars off at BuiltBar.com. Locked On, ten dollars off at BuiltBar.com. Next time we can take a little break together, and you can enjoy your Built Bar while I enjoy mine. I want to talk about our new sponsor, RockAuto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto parts to customers online for twenty years, and. If you think about chain stores and they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. They offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Okay, Ryan, you get to draft for the Golden State Warriors. You get the number one pick in the draft. Who are you taking? Okay, I know how we want to have fun with this. Can I trade out? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, yeah, you no, can, no, no, of course. No, I, I, I actually remember. think that's really legitimate. It probably would be what they're going to do. And this is a this is a weird draft. Like, as I went through the top, you know, I, I probably did 18 or so scattering reports, and I need to do more work on it. But I kept thinking range-wise, and, and tier's always a fun thing to do, which you've done a great job with over the years. But I kept feeling like everybody that was in the first or second tier – I'm like, God, just based on their their ability right now, it feels like I'm, I'm putting people – Like, it feels like the entire class has jumped a tier without there being a tier to jump, if that makes any sense. like I kept looking at guys and being like, is this guy really top 10 or top 10? And most years he wouldn't because we know this is a very weird draft and maybe it's going to end up being historically bad. But since Golden State has the one, uh, I'm not going to project like what all the different trades could be here. And I'm actually a little surprised, and maybe it's just the three games – but I still think James Wiseman for them would be the pick. And I know we have three games, two of them against really bad talent. But even though this game has gone so small, I feel like the correction at one point will be a five that can stay on the floor with all of these other smaller players. And for Golden State, his rim runs would be wide open all the time. And the thing I really focused on with him isn't because I've done a lot of this best-case scenario. This is like a newer thing I do now, Chad, where I look at a player and go, okay, give me your best case and give me your worst case, and then which is the more likely argument to win? And unfortunately for a lot of players, it's the worst case argument. 
But for Wiseman, the best case is that that jumper and the step back and some of the stuff he does is almost a small forward on offense that those things are real. Because if he turns into that, then we are talking about a special player. I don't know if it's real enough. I haven't seen enough of it. But what is real, his hands are incredible. He seems like a guy that wants to work his ass off. And so for Golden State and him having zero pressure on him, I would rather add him than another one of these guards that I feel like have plenty of flaws in their game. So I actually don't think this is that debatable at the number one for them. I think I look. I think that's fascinating. I I like your thinking on this in part because I you know when I because I came a little bit late to the game and by the time I came, Wiseman had already dropped on you know all the mock drafts and the right. boards or whatever. And and I, you know, I was scratching my head a little bit because I'm looking at first of all the physical tools. They're elite for his size, like all the way around physically. The guy the guy's elite, and then and then there there is skill there. I mean, this 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 guy isn't raw. That's not the way I would describe James Wiseman. I, it, it needs to be polished. All of the skill set needs to be polished. And it's a shame he didn't get an entire year at Memphis to do that. But there, as you said, the best case scenarios for Wiseman, he's he's to me far and away the number one pick in this draft if he hits his uh, ceiling. Yeah, and I know the, the funny part of this is that I just said earlier, stop liking these huge fours that are really athletic that aren't great at basketball. But I think you got to give me a pass here because of the class that we're talking about. Hands are, are such an important part of this. Like I know it sounds stupid, but I need you to be able to catch the basketball. And his his reads on rolls where you know he goes and he sets the screen, he's like, okay. And now there are, there are things where I, I feel like if – it were a computer program. Like there's a couple things that were maybe left out in the code where I'd like things to be a little smoother, a little bit more instinctive. You know, where I, I think that the great sign, the positive is that, okay, the coach clearly said, hey, on this move, like this is where we need you after this handoff or after the screen, like this is where we need you. So he's, he's processed all of that. It's probably not happening as quick as I would want to, but I think those things are positive. Now, granted, when he puts the ball on the floor and turns around and takes this fadeaway jumper, and you go, whoa, like, is, is that really part of it? And, you you know, it looks good, but it doesn't go in enough. So there, there's a little bit of a hesitation on, like, I'd like to see things be a little bit more fluid. But as far as how he seals in the post, and when he goes up for the ball, he just swallows it up. And physically what you'd have here in this draft, I am surprised to see him on so many mocks. Like, I've seen him as, lo- as late as seven, which surprises oh, yeah. me. Yeah, and, you know, I just did put together my big board, and – and that was based off of talking to NBA teams. And again, nothing set in stone with teams. And, you know, a lot of teams were still, it's too early in the process or whatever. But Wiseman was three, but he was all the way at number one on some teams' boards still. And while there were a couple of teams that had him in that seven or eight, that was far not the consensus that I was hearing from NBA teams. I, I think he's a top three pick in this draft. I think the question mark for him has been since high school, okay, what kind of work ethic, what kind of motor does he have? Is he going to put in the work? You and I know that that's a, that's a huge tell about what's going to happen next with a prospect, right? Are they going to come in and work their butts off as NBA defenses begin to adjust to them and take away what it is that they like to do? Are they going to add things to their game? Are they going to continue to grow? Are they competitive? Do they want to be great? I think the answer for Weissman is we just don't know the answer to that question yet. I haven't heard any convincing evidence that it's not true. 
I think that most of what it is, is we just don't really know because, you know, we haven't had the chance to see him at Memphis. And because of COVID-19, we haven't been able to just do what scouts would normally do is get out in his gym, watch him with his trainers, see what he's done with his body, see what he's, see what he's been working on. They don't really get that. They, they have to kind of take, you know, trainers and agents sort of word for it right now. And so it's, it's a bit of a question mark. I actually think it will help him tremendously if workouts open back up and he can actually get in the gym, if he's been doing what he's, what everybody says he's been doing with his game and really working on it. Cause I think that could convince a lot of teams. Okay. He, he left Memphis after three games, but he worked his butt off and he's ready to come in and play in the NBA. And if that's the case, that's great. One other scary thing for me about golden state with Wiseman is because they're a championship contender team, the Darko factor Bill and I did the, the, the 2003 redraft together and there's a lot of reasons that you can CSI what happened to Darko. But I, I honestly believe the primary problem was he went to a championship contender team and there just wasn't minutes for him. Larry Brown was not going to trust him to, to be out on the floor. And his progress really stagnated at a time when he needed a lot of minutes. He needed to play. Wiseman missed his essentially his entire freshman season at Memphis. If he goes to Golden State and he can't get on the floor does he run the risk of not developing as a player? I, I just would worry more as his agent if I was Wiseman's agent about him going to Golden State than almost any other team because that is a concern. I can see him fitting in Golden State, but you're also talking about a team that's going to be competing for a championship next year who may not want a 19-year-old, 20-year-old uh, kid running around and playing significant minutes on the team. Both arguments are totally valid. Um, Darko, a lot of that too was Darko's personality as an 18-year-old where you'd hear stories and be like, oh, okay, now if he were playing and regular in the rotation, would he be more locked in as, as a kid, or would he be 18 in a new country where there's going to be challenges there no matter what kind of minutes he's getting? So um, if it were the Knicks, I might hesitate on, on Wiseman 1. If he wants to be a small forward offensively, I think that's going to be a problem. But I'm, I'm in the very limited time, and all of these guys are going to say, oh, I wish, you know, I, I don't like when people say, oh, I wish he needs another year, he needs a year. That's not how this works, okay? That's not the business these people are in. But one of the great things about Embiid, Embiid improved as much as a prospect as any prospect I've ever looked at. From where he was in the beginning, and we knew the physical tools, to his understanding from where he was his freshman year to the end of the year is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen, which gave you like real signs. And it just would have loved to have seen Wiseman against better competition because, you know, he is sealing up some guys who are trying to play center against him where you're like, oh. but at least he's sealing them. Like at least on that post roll, that high screen roll and the way he seals everybody on a post catch. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know that he's got like an intramural guy guarding him right now, but at least he's doing it. So we didn't have a lot to go on, but this is more about landing there and, and being a little more pro him than based on what I'm reading, but maybe more work. I'll go, you know what? I'm going to take one of these guards if it were a different team. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm with you on Wiseman. He's top three on my board. He easily could be top two that maybe the only guy that I like better for golden state is LaMelo ball. Uh, for the reason I think he can come in and play right now. And I think there's things about his game and his makeup that would actually allow him to earn minutes. And, and we'll talk about him for a second because you left the Knicks where I think, I, I just think some way, somehow, no matter what, the Knicks are going to end up with LaMelo Ball. It just, it just has to be so. And given that there is not an elite player in this draft, even if the Knicks don't land at two or three, 
the ability to move up in this draft, I think, is this is going to be one of the easier drafts to be able to move up, especially if a team like Golden State or, or Cleveland get the number one pick in the draft. And they're probably have had their fill of young players and are, are looking to do other things right now. Atlanta as well. I mean, there's so many teams that their trajectories now are not developing another young player right now. That's not where they want to be as a team. I think the Knicks are going to move up. They're going to get their guy that they can market around. And so with the second pick in the draft, I'm going to select LaMelo Ball. And here's my argument. I can see you shaking your head here. My guess is he's not number two on your board. Here's my argument for him. One other thing I've learned about the draft is that you have to have, if you're going to be good in the NBA, you have to have at least one skill. That's an elite skill that you can hang your hat on the league. And I used to fall in love with what I called toolsy guys that had lots of things that they did pretty well, but nothing that they did elite. And I love the fact that they had so many tools in their tool bag. But then those tools, when they got translated to the NBA, none of them were good enough to like actually get them on the floor. I think LaMelo Ball as a passer, as his ability to see the floor, as a ball handler, especially at his size, is elite level. The only other player I actually think in the NBA that has this sort of court vision and size is Ben Simmons. And and, and now he's he's smaller than Ben Simmons. He's not as big as Ben Simmons is. He's but big, you're though. Talking about, right. I, yeah, he's big. Yeah. He's like 6'8". He is special on that end. The defense was terrible in Australia. The jump shot is scary. Uh, and and obviously his body needs a lot of work and his ability to sort of take contact and some of those things. I mean, there's there's warts if you want to talk about LaMelo, but that one skill is so good. I can't point to another player in this draft that has any skill that's as elite as what LaMelo Ball is when you talk about court vision, basketball IQ, see the floor. And I think on a team like the the Warriors, one of the reasons I liked him there was I think that that high, high basketball IQ allows him to come in and do some things and, and, and play for Golden State. And he can play multiple, you know, three positions offensively. Who he guards, that's a major question mark. Shot form is, is a mess right now. I mean, so sometimes it goes in, but it's, it's messy. Uh, what do you think of LaMelo Ball? Only reason I shook my head is because on Golden State, I actually, even though I agree with, with some of the stuff you said about him, it wouldn't make any sense with all the guards already, which I think is a reason why. Look, they did the D'Angelo thing because they protected the asset slot, and then they flipped it for Wiggins. And when I would talk to more people about it, it was like Wiggins fit positionally. So that if you were going to say, hey, let's throw LaMelo in there, like say they evaluate LaMelo as, as a tier one guy, and they end up with a third pick, and the other two tier one guys, and however they do it, and maybe they have more than tier one guys at this class, but you understand this. And LaMelo's sitting there. I just don't know that they would throw a, a shot first guard in there because that's the, this is a, a consensus thing now and I need to do more work on this and, and talk about it more so I'll share it with you first but going through so many of these guards there is a virus going around I'm not talking about the global pandemic here but the virus is seeing NBA players that are the best players in the world guys like Curry that have no fear on shot selection but are still efficient Harden is that and Trey Young has done it like Trey Young hits enough of these shots to make it um, like you can't argue against some of these, like some of the shots. I'll be like, are you kidding? And then it goes in, and the numbers are there that support Trey taking some of these ridiculous shots. But what's happened is we now have a generation of younger players that think because they're the best player on the team that they're supposed to take shots. I don't think some of these guys even care how bad their three point percentage is now. And I've seen it. There's a five or six guys in this class, Chad, that 
I go, you got you guys just take threes. It's not even about them going in. You just go, well, Harden takes a million of them. Yeah, because Harden's one of the greatest shooters we've ever seen in the history of the game. Curry's arguably the greatest shooter we've ever seen. Curry's changed the game in more ways than guys much bigger than him. And now it's like, well, hey, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. So I don't care if it's like 20. And so LaMelo in those games in New, um, in Australia, he he played in 12 games. The team went 3-9. and nine. The whole thing, every time he was in there, was set up for him. So I'm sure his usage rate was incredible. The team stunk overall, too. So he, like RJ, didn't last very long down there. He played 31 minutes a game. He shot 38% from the floor, 25% from three, and he took uh, seven a game. He took seven threes a game, and he didn't make them. And he would have moments where he got a huge kind of unathletic center and a switch. I was watching the New Zealand Breakers game because it's RJ against LaMelo, which is a, you know, a lot of fun for this draft to watch that game. And I'm watching the whole thing, and I'm going, like, even when LaMelo gets into a good switch, he takes this sidestepping fadeaway three from 30 feet. One of them went in, and that's always this thing with younger players where I go, okay, I see that you score a lot. I see that there's things that I like about you, but what actually are you going to be allowed to do? And I would think an established team, certainly like Golden State, would be like, hey, dude, some of these shots you think you're going to take, no thanks. Now, his vision is terrific, and there are things he does at his age that you just don't expect where it's one thing to get a switch. Like all of us can figure out, hey, get the big to screen for the big and, you know, whatever. Hey, now you have your high switch. But there's other ways to kind of get into it where you're still attacking. And he does that at a very, um, I don't know if it's high level or whatever, but it's, it's more than just the switch. He, it's something that I go, oh, you know, this is like 10-year NBA stuff that I like from him. I don't even worry about the defense too much all the time with, with younger guys because I think they all kind of stink. Ironically, his brother was a really good defender and a good team defender. So I've always kind of liked that part about Lonzo. And it is, it's going to be weird to see what kind of NBA player he is because that run in Australia, that offense was all about him getting to do whatever he wanted. And sometimes it was good and sometimes it was horrible. You like this fit for the Knicks? You like it better than Golden State, apparently. I... I like what kind of play is he going to come in and think he's going to take twenty shots a game as a rookie? Because I, I would think any team that does like what what does that do to R.J. Barrett's development? But look, all these teams are bad. Like you could say the same thing. Like Atlanta would be the worst possible situation for him. Like Atlanta can't take <laughs> Trey Young, right? Atlanta yeah, yeah, can't yeah. take him. They can't. They cannot right? play Trey Young and love. And I'm not big <laughs> like if your team isn't good and you start doing well, we can't duplicate roster positions. Like I think you're always doomed. There are exceptions, and Atlanta, right. Atlanta would be one of them in this case. So. I'm not. I don't want to sound like a hater here because I don't think that's really what I'm doing. I'm just. I'm, I'm saying the extremes of what he is. And again, as an 18 year old kid, that's that's part of it. But the size, the vision, all those things are really impressive. The handle into all of it, the the way he kind of orchestrates things. Like there's a lot of awareness there that I really like. But there's also stretches of just like who do you think you are, man? <laughs> so. He's Lavar Bell's son. That's uh, yeah. Ball's son. That's uh, he's Lavar Bell's son. That's who he thinks he is, and. And and that you know that's working against him in some ways and in ways in some ways that aren't actually fair uh, to him in some ways that are. Um, it's a good point because look, Lakers guys will tell you after the fact because I always thought it was a little overstated. Like, all right, cool. His dad goes on TV and he says bombastic stuff, and the shoe thing hasn't quite worked out. And people are like, no, it kind of sucked, man. Definitely got old after a while. And. I would say LaMelo's shot selection is the way LeVar talks on TV shows. So I, I wonder if there's, since Lonzo ends up in New Orleans, I've heard it's been better. 
But if LaMelo ended up in New York, does that mean that you're inheriting the show that, yeah, again, we could say it's unfair to the kid and the evaluation, but sometimes there's teams that are like, you know what, we don't want to deal with this stuff. And the Lakers didn't like it. That is a fact. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, the history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com slash NBA. Okay. Well, it would make perfect sense for the Knicks to get the number one pick in a draft without a tier one. I mean, that's how I, I look at the tiers. Tier one is a, as a franchise player. There are no franchise players in this draft. I don't really see them that way. And maybe there's one or two tier two players in this draft. And then I think this is a tier three draft that has moved up exactly to the top. And that's sort of just where, where it is. And so, of course, that would the Knicks finally get lucky. And, and this is the draft they get lucky in. Let's go to three. It's the Wizards are on the board. I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, I'm looking through it here, and I didn't have LaMelo that far down, by the way, on my big board. It's not like I had him at seven or eight or that kind of, because this is just a product of, of what we're looking for for this draft. And I think when I looked at Tyrese Halliburton at first, I was like, okay, wait a minute. Like, this guy could go two? Like, that seems kind of ridiculous. And then you watch everybody else and you go, all right, <laughs> maybe. He is, I'm going to go Halliburton here because it's better than Anthony Edwards' bad shot selection. All right. And if Washington, like, I think Tyrese is somebody that fits in better where he adapts to the players around him better than an Anthony Edwards would. And my favorite thing with him 
Um, it's not just that we have, what, two years now of him proving he's a 40% shooter from three. But when you watch off of a defensive rebound, how locked in he is, where it's give me the outlet and let's push and let me try to find us some sort of advantage and transition before the defense sets up. That is one of my favorite things with guards. Are you always looking to attack, but attack with with like precision as opposed to just I'm out of control and I'm just you know getting the ball and going as fast as I can without ever thinking about anybody else. He is a playmaking guard that I think could play with other guards where he doesn't have to shoot it a million times to be productive. And there's still part of me that's like, are you really picking a 6'5", 175-pound guy third? But yes, I am. <laughs> so there you go. This is, the, this is that draft. And, and look, I don't actually think that is going to shock at least a lot of NBA teams who have Halliburton anywhere from like three to seven, you know, in this draft, but, but teams that have him as high as three uh, on the board right now and have him as like the top playmaking guard in this draft. I mean, some people will say that's LaMelo Ball and some people will also say that's Killian Hayes uh, out of France. I mean, those are the, the, the other usual suspects there. There's so much to like about his game. Also, one of these guys, zero questions off the court, leadership, ever, just rave reviews from all the intel about Halliburton and what he's going to be uh, as a team player and the maturity level that's there. You know, I think in the draft that, that buys you something as well, in, in addition to everything you said about him. I'd like to see some of the pick-and-roll ball handling numbers be better, you know, like make it, make it show in this league that, hey, this is a weapon and he's, he's not just kind of run of the mill because some of the numbers will tell you, at least last year, there wasn't necessarily anything special about it, even though your eyes tell you, you know, the playmaking is there. But there was one play going through it that I absolutely loved where he gets, gets it off the rebound. He's pushing the ball in transition, just like I was talking about. And he sees left corner. He, he, it's like it's a cross-court pass to the left corner to set up a guy who's wide open for a three. The guy misses it. And Tyrese crashes the board, and it's not like he just passed and kept running the board, but he like looked up and goes, nobody's boxing out, and he ran, crashed the glass, offensive board. It's not like a clean dunk, but in that moment, he was the only guy thinking that he could do that, and everybody else was like oblivious to what he was doing, and it's, it's a classic like Halliburton play. Like the pick, actually, and I actually I like this for the Wizards. As well, why well, might you know put their their biggest need at having like a an an active multi positional defender, which is probably not how I would describe what what Halliburton is going to bring to the table. I think he is going to physically at times be overwhelmed in the NBA on the defensive end. I I I think he's he's a great fit on this this roster, especially while there's so many questions about what John Wall is ever going to be, you know, coming back from everything. Um, yeah, that's that's another part of the reason why, like, I look at it and go, you know, what are you even doing here? And, you know, it was kind of funny, like, the Bradley Beal rumor to Brooklyn just came out of nowhere. Like, it was just, hey, we're bored. All right, this is a spicy one. Yeah, I don't I don't know if the Wizards are going to let go of Bradley Beal. I, I, I don't think they're going to. I think they've had their opportunities already to do that, to make that move, and they have done it. I don't know what the package would be back from – Brooklyn but I was just doing this with Bill where I don't want to rule out like I never we've said things are impossible so many times in the league and every now and then you're like ah it's enough people got involved here to make this work but 
I'm not 100% sure there's a ton of stuff I would want from Brooklyn. I would think I could do better than Brooklyn's roster if I'm moving Bradley Beal. All right, fourth pick in the draft. Lana, Lana Hawks are on the board. We've already established one guy. <laughs> that would be a disaster. I am going to give them a point guard here. A guy that either can play backup point guard. I think he can, because of his size, he can play multiple positions. And I think he's a guy who could definitely play with Trey Young, and that's Killian Hayes out, out of France. And I have, I think he's one of the safest players in this draft. You know, all these other guys, there's like, okay, if this, this, and this works out, they can hit, but there's this, this, and this that, that can cause a problem. You know, the only thing that I can really say about Killian Hayes that I, that I don't really like is that he's heavily left-hand dominant as a player. And he, and he really, really needs to work on his right hand. But there's, there's been plenty of guys in this league that have never really developed an offhand. And so because of that, size for position, he excels with the ball in his hands. He's, he's a great passer and facilitator. He can shoot off the bounce with range. His three-point shot wasn't great, but the form looks, uh, it, the percentage, he only shot about 30, uh, 30% in Germany, but the, the shot looks great. He's a really good free throw shooter, which is usually a good tell about what that's going to become. He excels as a pick and roll player. He's a committed defender. He's a high character guy. And the thing that I, I'm most intrigued about, intrigued about him, is the improvement that he's shown over the last year. I mean, you watch this guy this season, and you're watching the development even in season. He's getting it. He's learning. He's adapting his game. It's another thing that I I try to look for in players. Are they continuing to develop, adapt the defenses, add more to the game? Killian Hayes is is almost a different player than we saw last year. He's not like super explosive off the bounce, and you know that can be a little bit of an issue. But I, I really like him. I know on the ringer, this is um, Kevin O'Connor's number one guy. Uh, I'm not sure he's my number one guy, but I, I think here at Atlanta, he'd be a good pick. When Kevin. Put Killian one. I got a couple calls from some front office guys being like, "Hey, we know you're at the ringer. Is that you?" <laughs> they, they, they were, they were very concerned about Killian Hayes going one. But I actually love Kevin for doing it, being like, "Look, the draft isn't that good. I'm going with Killian." Uh, the positives, Palsy, yes. are, yeah, are his back. Like, I kind of, I appreciate anybody that decides. You know what? I'm actually not going to go with what everybody else's mock draft is. Um, we know his father played. He was born in Florida, but he basically ended up back in France immediately because his father was playing there. Every step of the way for Killian, he's played older competition. Like he's almost this, I don't want to say basketball prodigy because I don't think his game is necessarily that, but he has been groomed his entire life to become a basketball player. And apparently, if you go through it, you know, he was hoping maybe to come back and play in the States. And the family was like, nope, you know, and he was in uh, Chalet at 16 years old. And watching him this past year for the German team, um, I get, I get why people like him, and I think he's a smart player. But he is in my group of guards that thinks I'm just supposed to take all of these threes because there's still some really bad shots in there. But I do like the half court awareness from him. You're right on the left dominant, according to Synergy. He drives left in isolation situations 74 percent of the time, which is a massive skew on a number, but you know, there are, there are dominant ball guys that once they don't have the ball, like how active are you with the rest of everything that's going on? 
and he is someone that as soon as it's the handoff, like he'll run through. So he shows that he can play off ball. Um, he's a little bit more combo than just a, an ISO heavy guy. I'd love to see him shoot it a little bit better. Um, but the numbers are are pretty good for him, even though you know it wasn't like he was this number one option because he's still really young. I mean, he's still really young for the team that he's playing on because he's always playing in like these these higher leagues, and he's done really well in some of the younger international competition stuff. Um, he also had some some veteran stuff with him with the initiating contact and using his size because he's big and using his side of the dribble. So it's not like he's just killing you with his quickness off of the dribble, but he's setting you up where it's it's a guy that understood as a smaller player, probably when he's younger, I need to figure out some of these angles to even get these shots off. And now that he's filled out and he's bigger, I don't know that him not being super quick is as much a detriment to him as it is some of the other players. I think that's a great take. And I, I think we're also kind of at a point in this draft, <laughs> again, where th- there's a kind of a mess of players here. And I've seen this when I was talking to teams and putting together my big board, where every big board just sort of looked different in the three to eight range of how they were ranking these guys and stacking these guys up. Some teams obviously have Killian Hayes closer to the end of the top 10. Some teams have them higher. I didn't encounter anybody that had him number one on their board like Kevin, but that's okay. I actually, like I said, I really like Kevin for that because there is too much herd mentality, I think, online and not wanting to look bad and trying to get your yours skewed a certain way. And often it doesn't really look much at all like what NBA teams are going to do. That gives you the fifth pick in the draft. You have the Cavaliers. Yeah, I do. And that would be... No, I don't blame them for going Darius Garland and after they went Sexton because you know scoring backcourts is kind of what you want. But for this team, the whole thing feels kind of like a mess because it's it's this rebuild that hasn't really decided what the rebuild is yet. And it, it, this isn't like oh these guys don't know what they're doing. I, I'm not even I'm not even doing that kind of thing with them. You know I like I kind of like Darius Garland. There wasn't a lot that we saw from him last year uh, when he was at Vandy, but. Like his quickness, his in out, his shooting numbers, and that kind of stuff. I was like, all right, I get it. You know, I get what they were doing. But if you were to add Anthony Edwards to the group with Sexton and Garland, and, and I'm not doing the NFL need thing here, but that would be kind of hard. So, is there somebody else that makes sense? Um, I think RJ Hampton's the best athlete of any of these guys, but I don't know that that makes a ton of sense either. So, I'm going to go with a grown up in Obi Toppin. Um, He's 22, even though he's two years there at Dayton. And yeah, cool. I can say I've got an Ohio guy staying in Cleveland. I, I would never draft because of that stuff. I just actually think that I, I can understand the arguments against him and, and for him. He's a post player. I mean, he's a post wing that attempts dunk contest dunks in games, and he makes them, so he's really exciting. Massive numbers. And the three-point shot was, was there enough. I mean, he took like two and a half of them a game. He was just under 40%. He's got a body that excites you offensively and then I think also concerns you sometimes defensively because he's so he's so upper body. It's all of these shoulders, and you can see guys try to defend him in college in the post, and you forget it. He's going to spin dribble baseline on you. He's going to finish every time. Like That stuff was awesome. But then defensively... Uh, the, Those hips are stiff. Yeah, man. there was not a lot to like there. So... Here we are, the fifth pick. I, I don't know that I'm 
you know, this could be one of those deals where in a couple of years, you're like, how did you pass in a guy like RJ Hampton, the athleticism I, I would get, but I'm, I'm going to go Obi here. I, you know, he's a very polarizing prospect among NBA teams. Some people see a young Amari Stoudemire there, and I can see that. I can definitely see the, the power, the, the ability to finish around the rim that he has, his ability to step out, which Amari developed throughout his career. Other people will say, what, maybe he's Derek Williams, uh, who also was an exciting athlete about the same size, who couldn't defend anybody. And, and I, I think that this is just a very tough one to gauge because normally teams are scared away of 22-year-olds in the draft because there's usually something's wrong with you if you're coming into the draft at 22. And there's exceptions like Damian Lillard out of Weber State where he's playing at such a small school in his junior year. He got injured and didn't really want to jump into the draft after that. I mean, there's always exceptions to that. But 22-year-olds don't regularly go in the top five in the NBA draft anymore. But Toppin was so good this year arguably the best player in college basketball this year. And there are so many things that look like they translate to the NBA, at least on the offensive end. It's hard to pass on him here, especially with the question marks of so many of these other guys that are on the board. I, I wonder in this particular case, whether Cleveland wouldn't just go for Anthony Edwards, who I think is ranked higher by most NBA teams because of the athletic ability. I, I have some serious questions about Anthony Edwards, but and and I, I just wonder if they don't just plug him into the backcourt anyway, despite their draft the last couple of years, especially given that it doesn't seem like Colin Sexton has a long-term future in Cleveland right now. If they're going to keep Kevin Love and Andre Drummond and everybody else around, I think that having such a ball-dominant guard is a bit of a problem. Uh, and so I could I could see that as well, but but I think Toppin's defendable, and it's really interesting. Toppin, Okongwu out of USC, and then Wiseman teams are have all of those guys ranked differently. To, as you talk about, those are the kind of the three primary big guys in this draft, and you know some guys some teams have Okongwu number one and Toppin two and Wiseman three. Some of it completely reversed, but I, I think this is his range, right? I think where you've got Toppin right now, I've seen him everywhere from like two to eight on boards. Two feels real high, and it's because he's 22 years old. But that's part of the thing when you watch him, you go, it's man against boys on these box outs. I mean, he's just he's just dominating and shoving these guys out. And I constantly was so – I don't know if it's oppressed, amazed. I mean, that's a little dramatic. But how often he set up back to the basket, no matter how far away he was, and it worked. It worked all the time. And he's going to outrun you all night long. And he is a parasite when it comes to transition buckets. And I mean that in a total compliment. Like he is expecting that he has a chance of getting an easy two if he just runs. And I love guys like that. So that part feels good. Uh, the work part of it feels good. But the Amari comps that I've, I've seen, I think Amari was another level of explosion. And it, I'm not even doing the size thing here, but there's, there's some movement stuff where I don't think Toppin is, is what Amari was. Okay, Ryan, I think that's a good place to stop. We got through the top five. We will come back next week drafting in our first mock draft 1.0 with Ryan Rossillo, picks 6 through 14. And in the meantime, if you want to check out more about the NBA draft, you can go to my new website, nbabigboard.com, where you can see my top 30 
And in the coming weeks, you'll see my first mock draft as well. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha.